great to be together this morning. Great to see uh, Jesus building his church. Um, and as we've heard, unless he builds his church, we labor in vain. Um, but I'm full of expectation this morning that this is actually a significant moment um, for us as a church, not because uh, of any of my words or, or any of uh, what we put together in serving to, to bring together the Sunday moment this morning, but just because Jesus is so faithful uh, to build his church. And we, we've seen such great evidence of that already as we've gathered this morning. So my name's Sean. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm one of the, the six elders here at, at One Tribe. And today, after a bit of a break, we, we're circling back to a sermon series going verse by verse uh, through the book of Acts. And the tagline that we've got for this series is Acts, this is our story. And just a, a couple of reminders of the headlines so far in the book of Acts, because it has been a bit of a break. Um, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and, and he opens the book uh, writing to Theopolis, who's the recipient uh, of this letter. And he opens the book by, by talking about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who's spending time with his disciples before his ascension, and how Jesus promises them uh, the Holy Spirit. He tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And actually, the, the rest of the book of Acts flows from this, those verses. This is the story of Jesus, through His Spirit, sending out His people to the nations to invite anyone to come and live under His reign and His rule. So in chapters um, 2 to 7, we see uh, this gospel, this good news spreading uh, in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 7, a, a persecution breaks out against the church, and the believers have to scatter. And so they actually scatter to Judea and Samaria that Jesus spoke about. And, and as they go there, they go on telling people about this Jesus who died and rose again. And, and while that's happening, what we see is that the mainly Jewish Jesus followers who are in Jerusalem, slowly there's a transition to a more diverse community as both Jews and non-Jews in Judea and Samaria start to believe. And this is epitomized in a church in the cosmopolitan city of, of Antioch. And actually, this is the first place that the followers of Jesus are called Christians. And, and one commentator said, hey, maybe this is because... For the first time ever, the, the, the issue of religion was not decided by your race or your tribe or your nation, but you had a diverse community all ascribing to one faith. And so they had to actually come up with a new word for this group of people to describe such a strange mix of people who called themselves followers of Christ. So they were first called Christians. And today we find ourselves in, in, in chapter 13, and this is a significant moment because here we see the early Christians being sent out for the first time beyond Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus said they would, to the ends of the earth. And it's the first time that missionaries are sent out and commissioned by a church, not just because there was persecution and through circumstances the gospel spread. So let's read from the last verse in chapter 12. And then we'll go up to verse 4 in chapter 13. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, 
who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are the master builder of your church. God, we thank you that this story is our story, that what you were doing in Acts 13, you're doing again amongst us now. God, I ask that you would lift our eyes this morning above our own agendas, above our own pursuits. God, please capture our hearts with the story of God. Lord, won't you do a, a significant moment of building in your church this morning amongst us? We say yes to what you want to do in us and through us by your Spirit. We trust you and we love you because you're such a good Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, cool. So this is actually the second... Uh, can I move over here? I feel like I'm going to fall. Um, this is actually the second time that the spotlight in the story of Acts focuses on the church uh, in Antioch. And if you haven't picked it up from us already, here in One Tribe, we are big fans uh, of this church in Antioch. In fact, if you were to ask a leader within One Tribe, what is the vision for this church, One Tribe? I would bet you that their answer would be some version of what we see painted in Acts when talking about the church in Antioch. You see, this was a multi-tribed, multiplying, gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional church. And that is exactly the type of church that we want to see here in Nairobi in 2021. This was also a church that was shaped by the prophetic. So we saw that in chapter 11, when Agabus the prophet came and they responded to this prophecy around a famine that was going to be around the land. And we are also a church that wants to be shaped by the prophetic. And there's been many prophetic words that have been spoken over us as a church, but there's a few that we carry particularly closely to our hearts. And one of those words is one that I think aligns really well with what we see in Antioch and what we're talking about today. Dave Devonish, he's a, he's a father figure in our broader family of churches and New Frontiers, and he shared with us a prophetic word where he sensed that the establishing of what God wants to do in the church here in Nairobi and One Tribe would take time to send down roots and a foundation before it grows up quickly. And then it would send out shoots to other parts of Kenya, other parts of East Africa. They would grow up into their own trees. So we see this multiplying vision in that prophetic word. But his encouragement to us as a church was to make sure we take the time to build the solid foundations and then we also have faith and courage for what God wants to do in the future. And I think we see something very similar here in the church in Antioch. We see in chapter 11 Barnabas coming and seeing what's going on in the church. He goes and fetches Saul. It says they go back there and they teach and invest and encourage and build up that church for a whole year. Strong foundations, sending down roots. And here in Acts chapter 13, we see that church is now ready to start sending, to start shooting out new shoots of mission. So let's unpack this passage, and I'm going to do it under three headings. The theme is ascending church, but we're going to look at ascending God, ascending family, and ascending joy. 
And in the middle, we're going to have an interview where we can, we can relate what's happening in this, in this passage to some things that are happening amongst us as a church today. So firstly, we see that this is the story of ascending God. We read in verse 2 that the Holy Spirit set apart, said, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. In verse 4, it says that they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So this wasn't just a decision that was made by human strategy. It wasn't even just a function of the fact that there was a leadership abundance now in place in Antioch, so it was natural for some people uh, to head off. It wasn't just that these two leaders said, hey, I volunteer to go. No, this was something that happened because God spoke to the church and ultimately God sent. So we shouldn't be surprised, though, that we see ascending God here because actually if you look at the whole story of the Bible, the big story of God, we see again and again that God is a God who sends. So after the fall, uh, God comes to Abraham and he sends him from his land into another land. And, and from that, he forms a people for himself, the people of Israel. But that, those people kept on drifting away, running away from God. So God sends again and again prophets to bring them back. And in Isaiah 6, this God who is three in one says, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for me? But ultimately, what, what the story needed was for God to send a Savior. And so this Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, give us the ultimate example of what it means to be a sending community when the Father sends His one and only Son to the earth to save us. And in those famous verses in, in John 3, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. So God sent His Son to save. And if you've never understood that today, if you never understood that God sent His Son so that you could find forgiveness and acceptance in the family of God, then I pray that the penny drops today. The sending God sent so that you could be saved. And we'd love to talk to you about that if you've got more questions after the service. But once we're adopted into this family, it's not like God stops being ascending God. He actually continues to send. And in fact, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he's praying for his disciples. And he says, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples. He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What is, what is Jesus sending his followers to? Well, it, it's all about the story in the book of Acts. It's all about what Jesus said with the Great Commission, where he said, go and make disciples of all nations. So I want us to understand as a foundation today that the reason we're talking about ascending church is because we have ascending God. But not only do we have ascending God, but we see in this passage ascending family. Because it's not like God just came and whisked these two leaders, Barnabas and Paul, away without involving the church. No, we see the church worshiping and fasting together, and God speaks to them through His Spirit, maybe through a prophetic word. And, and commentators agree that the they in these verses is not just the leaders, although I'm sure the leaders had a role to play in helping the people to weigh this word, this sense. But no, this was something that happened collectively. And we see the church owning it because in verse 3, it goes on to say that they prayed and fasted again as they sought confirmation of what God was doing. And then they all laid hands 
on these leaders together and sent them out. So they understood that they were a sent community and they were a sending community. And guys, it is so important as one tribe that we understand that about our own identity. Andy Martin, he's a partner of ours uh, based in the Middle East uh, in the New Frontiers family, and he was giving some input to the eldership team recently. And he reminded us that it has always been God's plan to use a family to reach the families of the earth. That's actually what he promised Abraham when he sent it out from his land. He said, I will bless you, and I will make you into a great family, and through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. And now we see in Acts 13 that this family is the local church. And it's through this family that God has chosen to reach the families of the earth. So the biblical model for missions that we see in Acts 13 is not individuals just hearing from God for themselves, although that's really important. But it's not that they're isolated and just saying, oh, I'm feeling called to go, so I'm going. Cheers, guys. We're out of here. And it's not even parachurch organizations recruiting people from all over the place to send them, although we can learn from and partner with and be equipped by organizations like that. It's not even denominations or family of churches like Advance in our, in our case that sends. No, what we see as a biblical model here, it is the local church that sends. One tribe, can we embrace this identity as a sending community? for the sake of mission, for the sake of the lost. As it says in Romans 10 verse 15, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? We must send. I think Antioch had this in their DNA from the start. They were a church that had gotten used to receiving and sending. So they received gifts like Paul and Barnabas. And, and they received short-term input from people like Agabus, we see in Acts 11. And they sent Paul and Barnabas on a short-term trip to Jerusalem to deliver the gift uh, for the poor there. And now they're getting ready to release these leaders for a longer-term mission. And can I suggest that we see some of that in our own DNA as one tribe? We, we are a church that are the grateful recipients of other churches sending. So we've got the, the Massiums who, who came up here from God's tribe in, in Da in 2014, 2015. The Clutis from Jubilee. We were then uh, uh, dipped our toes into sending ourselves. The Clutis were sent on to plant a church in Germany. The Shores went to Congo. We've done short-term assignments for people like Mbonisi going to strengthen churches in the region. And we shouldn't be surprised that we see these elements at play amongst us because remember, the story in Acts is our story. And it's actually really exciting when you open the Bible and you read what's going on with the early church and then you look around and you see evidence of the same stuff happening with us. And I don't believe it's an accident that we are in Acts chapter 13 today. On the back of a year of growing in our awareness and passion for unreached people groups, on the back of a, a month of increased evangelistic momentum, and on the back of some significant sending moments of, my, of our own, which, which I'm going to share with you in a few moments, 
we, we see the church in Antioch sending out these heavyweight leaders, Paul and Barnabas. And what's interesting is the, the language used here in verse 3 for sending, when it says that they sent them off, is a Greek word which I'm going to mispronounce, apelizan, okay, apelizan. And this word actually means to release. It actually means to untie a burden. It actually means to loose. And so we get this idea that the Holy Spirit is asking the church in Antioch to set apart these leaders to send them out. But an important part of that is releasing them from their ministry in Antioch for whatever God had in mind for them next. For a church family to send, it has to be ready to release. And releasing can be hard. <laughs> and it takes faith. And it takes courage. So just like this church in Antioch is, was sending out two heavyweight leaders, we are praying about sending out two heavyweight leaders of our own, releasing two heavyweight leaders of our own in 2022. We're praying about uh, releasing two couples, one couple to recharge and one couple to reach the nations. Firstly, in mid-jam, we are preparing to release Mbunisi and Tashinga and their kids for a sabbatical. For anyone who's new today, Mbunisi leads our team of, of elders. And Tash, in addition to adding serious firepower to that leadership couple, uh, she serves on the welcome team. And she generally just keeps us from taking ourselves too seriously. And, and she just helps us, reminds us to have fun um, along the way. So the Malabas will be taking a one-year sabbatical year from mid-January next year uh, for Mbunisi to take on a fellowship with a host an orthopedic hospital uh, in London. So it's a year where they'll also be released from all church responsibility and all teaching and preaching responsibility. Mbunisi is a real model of what it means to be a bivocational leader in the advanced church family. And so we feel like it's totally appropriate that part of the sabbatical is for him to further specialize in that field. And Mbunisi's heart and his desire is that this specialization will actually allow him, when he returns, to give more time to the church um, and not less. We've been chatting to them about the, the structure of the sabbatical, and one really important element for us is rest. So the Malabas are going to be establishing during this time a stronger weekly Sabbath ritual. They're going to be taking at least a month in the middle of the year just to be with family and no work responsibilities. And now we haven't talked about this on a Sunday, but, but as an eldership team and as a broader community, we've, we've been praying and walking with the Malabas over the past few months about this. And our sense is that God is in this decision. Our sense is that this is something that is good, and right, both for the Malabas, but also for the church. The idea of a sabbatical comes from the practice of Shemitah, which is where the Jews were commanded by God to work their fields for six years and then to let them lie fallow for one year. And the promise in Leviticus 25 is actually that their land would be more fruitful if they followed this practice. Next year is the Malabas' seventh year in Nairobi. It's about their 20th year of planting and leading churches. Now it is time for their ministry to lie fallow for a year. The burnout rate of pastors is incredibly high. 
I know many of us work really hard in, in our jobs, and I'm not demeaning that, but my dad was a lead pastor, and I saw the toll it took on him. It is a 24-7 job. You're always on call, much like a doctor, and Bernice is actually a doctor as well. And they're probably the most high-capacity couple that I know, and, and what we've seen them carry over the past six years is phenomenal. It's staggering. But we really believe now is a time for a change of pace for the Malabas. And I want you to know this is not about like leader serving or giving some extra perks uh, to the lead pastor. No, this is about us investing in, in Imbonishi and Tash and their family for future fruitfulness. This is about making sure they can run their race with sustainability and joy when they return. And when they come back, we're not expecting like a fire hydrant of just energy. What we're actually asking them to do is to come back and let some of their rhythms of sabbatical splash onto church life, because we think that's good for all of us as well. And I want you to be clear, unless there are plans that God has that none of us are aware of, the Malabas will be back in 2023. Yes! This is, this is, you guys may have had some bad experiences with things like sabbatical. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're sending them on a sabbatical, but actually there's serious problems under the surface. This is not like that at all. This is something that we really are behind for their good and for the good of the church uh, in the future. We're going to let them share in a few moments. But the second couple that we are praying about releasing to reach the nations in 2022 is the Massinghams who have asked us to pray with them about a possible call to church planting in Egypt. Now, the timeline for this is the potential move is probably the middle of next year, and there's a lot of things that still have to fall into place. And, but they can share with you of, of how from, I think, in their 20s, God, is that right? God started speaking to them about this twin call to be in the marketplace, but to plant churches in the nations throughout Africa and eventually in the Middle East. And we've had the joy of seeing what a gift that is in action. They did it in Dar es Salaam with the Kanikis and establishing God's tribe there between 2013 and 2014. And they moved to Nairobi and they started investing in this community. And as we began to pray and process with the Massingham's, we felt that it's, this seems to be in line with what he's been saying to them over the years. And we've encouraged them to keep moving forward. But I've said enough. Let's get these legendary couples up here and we'll, we'll, we'll drill them a few questions. For their own. Karibuni, guys, welcome. So we thought it would be great just to, to hear directly from these families um, as we process as a church, as we stand with them as a church. And so. Um, have a seat, guys. Make yourselves at home. We appreciate you being willing to share with us. Great. So, guys, maybe I should also have a seat. Eh? I feel a bit... I'll go sit over here. So, guys, um, first question to the Malabas. Why a sabbatical? What's going on here? Good question. <laughs> So, Bonisi and I um, would have gotten married in 2003, 
Um, but met in university before that around the year 2000, at which point the church we were part of in Harare, Zimbabwe, um, got a prophetic word about planting churches and going for it. So 2002, um, our pastor, PEJ, um, sat down with us and said, hey, we're thinking we'd love to have a church plant in a different city. We were in Harare, the capital of Zim, and we loved it there, had a great community. And we, yeah, didn't want to church plant, but <laughs> in praying about it, talking to friends, praying some more, um, just came to a real peace and settling in our own hearts that actually this is what God was calling us to. And so in 2002, we planted a church in the second city of Zim, a place called Bulaayo, which is where we settled, got married, had kids, and were quite happy and settled um, until 14 or 13 years down the line, we had a similar conversation, and this time with another friend of ours um, who was involved in overseeing God's Tribe Church where Calvin and Belinda were in Tanzania, and he said to us, hey guys, could you think about, pray about, moving to Nairobi to be part of a church plant with Calvin and Belinda who are going to be moving there. And again, <laughs> felt like, mm, no. <laughs> so I think there's a pattern here. But um, after again praying, talking about it, praying some more, felt God again just settling in our hearts that, yeah, this was the right thing for us to do as a family now with three kids. And so we came um, to Nairobi and have been part of this amazing, amazing community for the past six years. Um, and so in all of that, one of the things we haven't been too good at as a couple, as a family, is moments of rest and actually being um, just deliberate, intentional about planning in um, some rest time and so sometime this year, as Bonisi's contract at the hospital where he is was coming to like renewal time, talks and all of that, um, we just started talking as a couple about maybe now is the time to actually take this sabbatical um, from leading church, which we haven't done for almost 20 years now, and just, yeah, have that time for the land to lie fallow, as Sean was saying and be recharged and, yeah, get input from others, as it were. And so that's how you find us here today, is at the end of that process and feeling like this is the next step for us for the coming year. Yeah. Well, well shared, Tash. Um, Massingham's, let's go over to you. We'll come back to the Malavas again. But guys, can you, can you answer a similar question? Why Egypt? Yeah, so I think the, uh, the primary reason um, is, as we've been seeing in the book of Acts, Jesus calls us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, and, um, and at the end of time there will be a, a great multitude that no one can count from every tribe and tongue and people, and at the moment the Egyptian tribe um, is very kadogal um, in, in that representation, and so there's a need for people to be sent and to take the gospel um, to that nation. Um, Cairo is a city of 10 million people um, in, the, in the metropolitan area. In the greater metropolitan area, is 20 million, and uh, very few of those 
um, are followers of Jesus, and uh, there's very little evangelical Christian witness um, within that city. And so there's a very great need, um, and God's called us to this as a church um, and as the, the wider church to, to take the gospel to unreached people groups. Um, and then I think, you know, for us personally, as Sean said, we felt called to this since we were very young, since even before we were married, God spoke to us about this, um, even about Egypt. And, uh, and so we've carried the Middle East um, Muslim people on our hearts for a very long time, and, and God's taken us on a, on a journey um, on this. And actually, in the last two years, God's spoken very specifically and said, now's when I want you to go. And so, you know, our lives are about following Him and doing what He calls us to. And, uh, and while, you know, I think we're both a, a bit emotional today because uh, there's, there's definite cost to this. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to uproot yourself and leave, but um, we know that, that God has called us to this, and uh, there's no greater adventure um, and purpose in life than, than laying down your life for Him. Thanks, Kelvin. And next question, maybe we'll start with the, the Massingham's again, is just, um, you know, you, you are both eldership couples uh, in this family, and so your fathers and mothers amongst us, and we'd love to just to hear what is... What would your encouragement be to the church in this kind of sending moment as we contemplate um, descending possibilities? Thanks, Sean. That's a great question. And as I was praying and thinking about that, um, just driving on the way to church, um, just had this phrase and the sense of praying for one tribe that, you know, we would grow to have um, kingdom eyes, that God would give us eyes to see what he's doing um, among us and how he's calling us as one tribe to be ascending church um, and just to yeah, look with eyes of faith. And I think Cephas prayed a prayer out loud during the worship time, which really resonated and it was something similar of just being able to see the kingdom and see what God is doing among us. Um, so that's just a very broad and general thing about just faith rising. Um, and it's not really, it's not about us, but about just the sending that God wants to do through this church, one tribe. Um, even as Sean has shared with us, like so brilliantly, I think everything that Sean has said about us being a sending church and um, that the church, the local church is really a family that um, sends out part of the family to be able to see other families um, planted and strengthened and growing. So, yeah, that's, that's I think, our vision. Um, and it's a very great comfort to me personally that we can grow in these next months before we do go, if God is opening this door, if it really is happening, that we can grow to, to learn how to be that sending church, that this is not a severing or like, um, it's not a cutting off of us just going, but I think it's very special for us personally, but also very powerful in the kingdom, that it's a, it's a continued connection and um, yeah, just how even yeah, one tribe can be praying for this and one tribe can very much feel part of this. Um, we would love, you know, a vision of teams being sent and visits and prayers and just a real sense of ownership that this is a partnership and a, a family. Hello. Last question for, for the interview. Malabas, how, how would you encourage the church in this moment? I'd encourage the church by saying, 
As I've said before, at any moment in time, God is doing 10,000 things. We're only aware of three of them. And um, for us to not miss, John Piper said that. Thank you, Tash, for keeping me Well honest. done, well done. <laughs> um, I, I say it too now. Um, uh, I just want to share very briefly about two things. The first um, is just thinking about whether we are blessed so that we can be blessed or whether we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And my challenge to us as a church is to maintain the spirit in which this church was birthed which wasn't a spirit of God, would you bless me so that I can be blessed? God does want to bless us, but so that we can be a blessing. And sometimes when we're looking for a church or engaging with a church, our heart can be, I'm looking for somewhere where I can be blessed, full stop. But the vibe of this church must be the vibe of the Antioch church, which is that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Very good. And part of that is releasing people for reach as we're doing with the, with the Massingham's. And the second thing I would do, I would encourage us with, and the last thing I'd encourage us with is a picture that came to our family of churches at a time when there was a leadership gap. And uh, in this case, it wasn't a couple going for sabbatical, it wasn't a couple being um, released for reaching Egypt and the Middle East, but it was actually the death of a very significant um, pastor and um, apostolic gift in our movement of churches. And in that context, a prophetic word came that said that a mighty oak has fallen, and in its place, many shoots will rise up. And part of the genius of what God is doing right now is he is reminding us that we're a church that exists not for ourselves, but we're a church that exists to be a blessing to every tribe and tongue. And we're also being reminded that one of the ways God does that is by raising up leaders, and then either for a short season or for a longer season, sending them out, that's what we're called to. And that requires us to continually be seeing many shoots rising up. And so as we're out for a year and planning on being back, and as the Maskams are out and we send them to Egypt, we're going to be connected to them as we are saying. We're in faith for leadership multiplication to take place during this 12 months and beyond that sees the impact of this church, not just staying the same, not just increasing, but multiplying. I really believe that's what God is doing. Amen. Amen. So good, guys. Well, we love you, Massiums and Malabas, and um, we are praying with you and standing with you during this time, and we're really looking forward to seeing what God is going to be doing uh, in your lives, through your lives, but also in and through His church uh, collectively. You're welcome to step down. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, guys, I hope that was helpful just to get a sense of the Malabas and the Massiam's hearts. I do also just want to um, assure you that even though as, as a leadership team, we are trusting God first uh, for next year as we go through this transition and these, these moments, um, but we also are planning. So we're not running in it, into it blindly. And so we, we're looking at ways in which a lead elder role in the team of elders can be, can be rotated amongst the current elders. We're looking at um, oversight of staff. Cephas is, is currently two days a week with the church. That will continue into, into next year and give oversight to our, support to our staff team. Um, also, we'll be carrying a significant uh, preaching load uh, as well. And we're looking across the church and just seeing the absolute bounty of leadership that we've got in this church. And uh, we really believe that we won't just be surviving, but we'll be thriving in God's plans uh, going forward. Guys, there's a lot to say in, in unpacking how do we respond to this, how do we respond to what we see in the passage here. 
Uh, we don't have time to go into huge depth uh, on all of it, but I just want to point out a few tips in the sending family section of how we can pick up things from Antioch. The first is prayer. We found them fasting and praying when the Holy Spirit came and spoke. They fasted and prayed again. They laid hands on them. We'll have an opportunity to do that part, the laying on of hands and the commissioning out at a later stage with both of these couples. But let's be praying hard about these things as a church, asking him, what is he doing? The second one is something that B mentioned. Uh, we see the church in Antioch taking real ownership and connection of the sending moment. And I want to ask us as a church uh, to really step up into that. I want us to be thinking about how can we journey with, how can we own this mission that the church has given us. And in the book of Acts, we see John and Barnabas circling back to the church in Antioch in chapter 14. And it says there that when they came back to the place where they had been committed to by the grace of God, for the work they have now completed, they gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done, and they stayed a long time. That's the vibe of owning this and connecting this, all right? We, we don't just say, okay, we're going to send you off, and then that's it. No, there's a connection, there's an ownership for both couples. What are we sending them out to? Um, we've got an investment in this as a church. I would also encourage you just to move towards these couples. Um, they, they would love to share more with you. They would love for you to pray with them. And they may have practical needs uh, as well that you can help to meet during this time. For the Malabas in particular, um, between the church and the advanced movement and the fellowship uh, stipend in the hospital, their monthly costs are, are largely taken care of. Um, but their relocation costs, there's still some gaps there. And so there may be places where you say, actually, I want to partner in a financial sense, and in investing in this sabbatical as well. And if you're interested in that, you can chat to me or to, or to Calvin or one of the other elders as well. Um, I also just want to say that another big thing we see in the church in Antioch is this multiplication that Mbenisi was talking about. So the, we're not talking about replacements here because you, you can't replace a Paul and a Barnabas. Um, and to be honest, you can't replace the Malabas and the Massingams. Those of you who know them will know that to be true. But what we do see in the book of Acts is that this church was able to send because they had a multiplying DNA. They, they had a, a list of leaders that are given to us there, a wonderfully diverse team of leaders. And because they had plurality of leadership, they were able to send out. And I, I just want to say that you, you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, but those, those are all the elders and the leaders. And Sean, I, I don't think I've got much to give to this multiplying thing. Um, I just want to share with you that for Tez and I, uh, we prayed for a church like the church in Antioch in Nairobi. Uh, when the Malabas and the Massingham's rocked up here in 2014 and they had that same sort of vision on their hearts, we were really excited. And then they were sort of acting like, no, you're going to plant this church and lead with us. And we were like, ah, I think you misunderstood us. We were praying for a church like this so that we could attend a church like this. <laughs> and, and they um, graciously ignored our objections. And they invested in us, and they called things out of us that we didn't know were there. And God drew us into things that we would never have imagined. We never saw ourselves as church planters or church leaders. And I just want to encourage you that God is not looking for us to be qualified in this multiplying thing. God is looking for us to be available. He's looking for us to have a heart posture. And we don't just need to multiply elders and deacons and life group leaders. We, we need multiplication of worshipers, of kids' workers, of, of welcome teams, of people who are serving the poor, of administrative gifts, of prophetic gifts in the church. 
So my question is, what, what could God be calling each of us to as we look at the sending moment? It's kind of like this leadership suction that takes place where, where key people are sent out. It leaves a hole and God draws other people into that. It must have been scary for the church in Antioch to send them out, these two heavyweights. But what God did there after they left is phenomenal. What happened in the church in Antioch? Well, if you fast forward 350 years, after the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, Antioch became the world center of Christianity. By AD 400, 100,000 Christians lived in that city. Obviously, despite Paul and Barnabas leaving, that church were able to thrive through the multiplying of gifts and leaders within the church and within the body. My expectation is that will happen here in one tribe as we step out in faith and courage. Akogi is a water engineer, he's one of the elders here, and he shared with us as we were talking about leadership suction. He said, did you know, and this, this, this kind of messed with my mind, but he was like, did you know that a pump doesn't suck water? A pump creates the environment in which atmospheric pressure pushes the water up the pipe. And that's the vibe of this multiplication. When we say, guys, let's multiply, let's be ready for multiplication, we're not saying, everybody get ready to work harder and pull up your socks. We're saying, guys, let's avail ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's say yes to whatever he's asking us, and let's trust that the atmospheric pressure of God will pull us into things that we could never imagine. Just as we close, um, last point is, I just want to encourage us uh, to embrace ascending joy. And this, is, this is counterintuitive, right? Because when church is a family, the temptation is to say, if we want to maximize our joy, let's hold on to everyone as tight as we can. You know, this is good. We've been blessed. As Mbunisi said, maybe we're blessed just to be blessed. Let's just enjoy these relationships. Let's enjoy these gifts. And let's just stay like this forever. And I am sad thinking about these guys being sent out. There is a, a heartache there. You know, these are relationships that mean a lot. But I think somehow over and above that sadness and that heartache, there is a joy in this for us to embrace. I think when you, when you look at the book of Acts, and you see what's happening here, and you realize this is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. And that same story is happening right now amongst us, and we get to participate in it. Then sending out actually fills us with joy, because we only live once. And what other story would we, would we want to be a part of than this story? And the amazing thing is that Jesus invites us to join in his joy as we do it. Jesus was the one who was sent by the Father. In Hebrews 12, it says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's this joyful, reigning Jesus who has sent us and asked us to be sending family. And he promises to be with us now and forever.